Paul's uh, talk then was really an example, a practical example of what this message is going to be about. I'm going to attempt to explain the work of the Spirit. And when I was listening to Paul, he, that was what he was describing. He, was, he described that he was uh, changed, that he'd been born again at some point four years ago. And, and maybe even four years ago, he didn't realise that that was what was happening. But looking back, he can see that that's what happened. Um, Paul's message was exactly about what... Anyway, <laughs> you got it. So this week, uh, well, last week we looked at the uh, beginning of what the Holy Spirit does in our life, the beginning of transformation, the, the fact that we're born again and we got into this massive fight about what water represents and um, what uh, the Spirit represents and people got up and stormed out. If you missed it, then... you. You know, you should have been here. Yeah, but Bev started it. Bev started it. <laughs> yeah, so interesting, isn't it, to think about uh, scriptures that we, oh, we just love, uh, John 3.16. And yet um, there are verses that we just go, mm, too hard basket. I'm not sure what the water represents when Jesus said that. If you want to know, you can refer back to last week's message. <laughs> because the idea was that the Holy Spirit enters a person and Nicodemus was trying to get his head around it. What does that mean to be born again? So today we're, we're taking this a step further. Not just that we've been born again, that our new nature, our old sin nature has been replaced with the new nature. Uh, Jesus described that our old hearts, our old stubborn hearts of stone have become tender, responsive hearts, um, that our hearts have been cleansed and our sin has been washed in the blood of Jesus. So today... After being born again, we want to look at what is the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. So we've got to keep in mind the end goal because the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, they're all working toward an end goal. They have an agenda. And that is to see the world transformed or be brought back to what uh, their original plan, to transform the earth, to bring healing, to bring life to people, to bring light, to bring hope in an otherwise dark, lost, wounded, broken and hopeless world. And so we know that the Spirit's working in us toward this end. But how is he doing that? What is his specific role? And before Jesus left the disciples with their mouths open, looking into the sky, wondering what had happened, he said this, John baptised with water. This is in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. John baptised with water, but in a few days you'll be baptised in the Holy Spirit. So that's the challenging question for today. What does it mean to be baptised in the Holy Spirit? Now let's not fight and argue. There's a line there somewhere. About who killed who and... Yeah, that's... What does it mean to be baptised in the Holy Spirit? Don't stress too much. If you don't know, I'm going to attempt to answer it today. Does anyone want to give it a crack? Bev's not here. I'll give you a hint. Jesus goes on in verse 8 and he says uh, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you 
upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What does it mean to be baptised by the Holy Spirit? Um, Acts chapter 2. This is when the baptism took place. Suddenly, verse 2. There was a sound from heaven like a roaring of mighty windstorm, and it filled the houses they were sitting in. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began speaking in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Was it the fire that came down? Or was it the gifts that the Holy Spirit gave them? And they were able then to have this uh, supernatural power of speaking in a language that they had not known before. I would say more to the second, because keeping in mind the agenda of the Holy Spirit is to proclaim the message of the gospel throughout the whole world. That served that purpose. So what purpose did the fire serve? Um, Only to identify those to me who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who were being filled, who was giving this gift. Because there were a lot of people about. And who was speaking in tongues and who was speaking normal language and how would we know who was, had the spirit? Um, some were saying, you know, they were drunk and uh, they were, you know. And, but those who, the, the tongues of fire came down, were able, were given this special ability. And so I don't believe that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit because that was a one-off event. Wasn't didn't happen again, but the gifting of the Spirit did happen again. It happened numerous times. So I think that was a one-off event, saying that this is the Holy Spirit that God, that Jesus was just talking about, this power that will come. Yes, it's here. And now this is the evidence that we're speaking in tongues or, or languages, and we have gifts. Um, so to me, the fire was just the intro because we don't see tongues of fire resting on people every time someone is giving, given a spiritual gift. And we are all given spiritual gifts. So to me, the gift is the evidence of the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit, not the fireworks. And anyone who goes looking for the fireworks, I think misses the point about what baptism in the Holy Spirit really is. It's internal. That's the change Paul's talking about. It's an internal change, not an external uh, expression. It's a gift that comes from us. So Paul, for example, didn't have a tongue of fire rest on his head when he was converted. Not that Paul, Apostle Paul. Um, But did you, Paul? No. He certainly got, got gifts. And so Paul goes on, the Apostle Paul goes on to explain that these gifts of the Spirit are varied and they all work together and for one purpose, and that is to usher in the kingdom of God. And 
verse, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul clarifies this. He says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the, what, the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift, verse 7, is given to each of us so that we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and the other the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern a message, whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And still another person is given the ability to speak in an unknown language, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It's the one and the only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. I like that. I can hear the cancel culture people saying, that's discrimination, that's not fair, he's got that gift and I want that gift and it should be equal, everyone should have the same gifts. Nope, that's not the way God works. God gives each of us different gifts and they're all different. They all serve the same purpose, but we're all different. That's God's plan, not to make sure that everything is equal. There is not one gift that rules them all. We're all gifted. There's no one better. No one gift better than the other. We all have equal, different gifts, but they're all equal. So it's no good trying to compare your gift with someone else or saying wishing you had someone else's gift. That's not the way it works. We are to work together to serve one another with whatever gift you have. And God the Father is the orchestra conductor. He's the one conducting us and bringing people in to serve each other. And we're all working together in harmony. And what would it serve God? How would it serve the kingdom of God if we all had the same gift? Oh, sorry, that was uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I read from verse 4 right down to verse 11. So the past few messages, what we've seen as the most effective method of bringing transformation to the earth or the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is um, we've been, we keep coming back to loving the world. So how does the role of the Spirit help us in doing that? Well, it helps us become more like Jesus, and Jesus loved the world. He gave himself to the world. And so the Holy Spirit is working in us to help us become more and more like Jesus so we can achieve his agenda of making sure the kingdom comes on earth, which is not the second role, but it's another role the Spirit plays in our life helping us to become more like 
the chip off the old block because we've been born again into the family of God. So his work in us is to help, help us become more like the son and to have the character of the father. So we're reborn, but as Paul really eloquently... I didn't say that very well. <laughs> You're supposed to say eloquently, very eloquently, but I didn't. I said eloquently. <laughs> so... Um, Paul was talking about the fact that we're reborn and he used words like growing and growing up and learning and this process of maturing and growing in knowledge and wisdom. And we all do that. As we are born again, it's a process. Don't rush it. Don't panic. It's a process. Paul writes to the church in Galatia. So I say, it's got the verse up there? No. Try the next slide. That might work better. Uh, are you being asleep up there, Paul? <laughs> Keep going. That's, that's 12. That's not fair. Ah! Representing Jesus. Yes, we're on it now. Another role the Spirit plays in our lives. Here we go. I went to all that work and he wasn't pressing the button. It's all good. So uh, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. So I was just talking about growing up, walking, learning, maturing, growing in knowledge. Let the Holy Spirit be a guide for your life and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves and the sinful nature wants to do what's evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants and the Holy Spirit gives us the desires that are the opposite of, the sinful, of what the sinful nature desires. The two, na- two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good, good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, directed, you are not under obligation of the law, uh, to the law of Moses. And when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy, bursts of anger... Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit, when you're walking with the Holy Spirit, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. He's got a different gift to me. No. We're all working together. The Holy Spirit is helping us to achieve 
God's will for our lives. What's God's will for my life? Oh, that's a big question. No, it's not. God's will for your life is that you become more like Jesus. That's God's working in you to help you become more like Jesus. And so, in a sense, the Holy Spirit is like a mentor helping you become. He's like a counsellor or a guide directing us to become more like Jesus, achieving God's will. And uh, our boys are about to ascend to base camp. Patrick already made it. Have we got a picture of Patrick? That's Patrick. doesn't look like him, but... And that says Everest Base Camp. And that's Mount... Is that Everest behind there? Yeah, so isn't it weird? Like two weeks ago, he was here, and then that following week, you get this message... And, and there he is, sitting on base camp. And, uh, and Steve was telling me that it wasn't good enough. He's, that's uh, five, 5, written there, 5,364. He's climbed another 1,000 using picks and ice things and climbing an ice wall. Nuts. What sort of a father? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dad, selfie. No, ah, no not, not going to happen. So there's many people who attempt this. Um, a lot of people do it, and it sounds like it's easy, right? It's not that easy. 5,000 metres is not that easy. You have to train for that. And Matt's been walking around with a... Um, Batman, what's the guy off um, Batman? Bane, yeah. <laughs> I'm your father. Well, the same sort of voice. But yeah, Bane, I can't do Bane. You can do Bane, can't you? Do it, do it. So it restricts his uh, lung capacity. So when he goes on walks, he's wearing this thing. <sighs> And so he's simulating what it's like to, to walk to the, this thing. Because what happens is, uh, if you go too fast, you get altitude sickness. And what happens is, the young fit bucks like these fellas, they go too fast because they're fit and they're healthy. And all the old people are good in those sort of treks because they slow everyone down. And... The slower you go, the less likely you are to have altitude sickness. And so it's a dangerous thing. You, can, uh, you actually you can't get rid of it at that altitude. You have to come back down to equalise and get yourself organised again. So it can be fatal. It's very, very dangerous. Yeah, it's not about the speed. It's not how fast you can make it. We're not trying to set a world record on this. They give you a guide, a Sherpa for two reasons. One is to show the way and one is to set the pace. Slow down, just stay in step, walk, let me be the guide. Isn't that interesting? God is, the Holy Spirit is setting the pace for us. We want to get there. We want to make the destination. I want to be holy like Jesus. I want to be, the Holy Spirit is setting the pace on that. His job is the guide, and he wants us to succeed. 
and he's there to, at times, to protect us from ourselves. So I was thinking about this as a metaphor, climbing to base camp or climbing somewhere difficult. It's a good metaphor for striving to achieve to God's will. God's will in our life. It's a journey. It's a trek. It's not a 100-metre sprint. You don't become a Christian like Paul and then all of a sudden you look like Jesus the next week. It's not instantaneous. And that's, not, that's by design. That's by design because this is where character, God is developing character in us. He wants us to be, to persevere like Jesus did. And you don't get given perseverance as a gift of the Spirit. The only way you get perseverance is persevering. The only way you get resilience is just being hard-headed and saying, this isn't going to beat me. It's not a spiritual gift. So the Holy Spirit's working, giving us these gifts, but it's, he's also building character, helping us. When we think about Jesus, he was determined. He set his face towards the cross, and that's where he went. And people tried to dissuade him or put him on a different path. He was disciplined. He was obedient. And all of these things take time. And every part of our human nature says, I don't need that. I don't want to do that. I can do this life without that. I want to take a shortcut. I want to get there ahead of time. I'm not going to follow a guide. Who needs a guide? But that is the sinful nature. It's craving what we want. It's craving what our sinful nature wants, independence from God. Do the opposite of what the Spirit desires. But the Holy Spirit's job is, no, stay on the path. It's convicting us, saying, stick with me. Let's walk together. Stay strong. Don't follow the desires of your heart. Put them to death. Stay on the path with me. And the product of that, the Holy Spirit says, will produce kingdom fruit and the characteristics of Jesus. When you think about Jesus, you think of love. You think of a guy who just had shalom all around him. People came to him and they felt peace. They were healed. He had joy in his life. I'm sure of it. He was kind. He was good. He was faithful. He was gentle. And he was in, self con- he was in control of himself. And so you say, well, I'm still a long way off from producing that kind of fruit in my life. Occasionally I see a little bud sprouting and a little bit of love for those little kinder kids and then it gets snapped off. No. What's happening? I'm back to square one. But the Holy Spirit is actually helping us to grow these fruits of the Spirit in our life. And we do that with discipline. We do that by building character one day after the next Staying in step with the Spirit will produce the characteristics of self-control, discipline, and resilience. Walking in faith, we call it, because we don't have these characteristics yet. Nick showed me a quote 
about faith and obedience, and I thought I'd read it. He says, um, Nick didn't say it, he showed me the quote, a faith without obedience will seek spiritual transcendence. You'll think that you're more spiritual than you are without moral transformation. That kind of faith is inactive, it's lazy, and it's without works. James says it's dead. Can't have a faith without a moral transformation. It's working together. Faith without obedience. So we can walk with the Spirit and we can say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, but without obedience. We're not, we're not making progress. Faith without works is dead. Resilience seems to be one of those characteristics these days that aren't as around as much as when my grandmother was around. She was a tough old bird. She would never give up. You think about her life and uh, 100 years ago and what they went through and the way they persevered and resilient. They used to say when the tough get going, the going gets tough. When the go- That's right, that's why I didn't say it. I wrote it down. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yeah, I don't know it, so it's over to you. Was it, was it, what's the... Oh, that one, yeah. Is that, who's that? Yeah, someone. When the... the my grandparents used to say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. But these days, when the going gets tough, the tough are nowhere to be seen. <laughs> They're like, I'm out of here. And people seem to think that life is more like Uber Eats. We get what we want when we want it. Extra pizza with. Yeah. And I see that all the time in, the, in, in kids. It's just like, no, no, if it's too hard, we're out of here. We don't like this school anymore. We don't like you as a teacher. It's too hard. Or try a different path. That's not what the Holy Spirit's saying. He's saying, stick with me, because this tough, this hardship will actually produce something in your life that's worth worth something. And so you say, well, isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to be giving us more power? Isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to be the one giving us resilience and determination? What's he doing? Why aren't I becoming more and more this person that God wants me to be? We blame someone else. That's easy. It is his job to give us power, but the power of the Holy Spirit is only available, we've just read this, it's only available to people who are walking with the Spirit. He's the guide. Those who don't walk with the Spirit are lost. They go off on a different direction. And many times they don't even realise it. Where's the Holy Spirit in my life? Well, you didn't stick with him. It's like saying to the guide, I'll be back in a minute. I just want to uh, duck up to Everest or at least get as far as I can go you know, and see how, what that looks like. He's going to say, you're an idiot. Don't do it. Stick on the path. Stick with me. I'm the guide. Let me set the pace. Let me set the direction. So it's not the fault of the guide 
if you get lost, right? If you choose to walk off the path and get lost, it's your fault. If you walk away from the Holy Spirit and then you say, well, why aren't I experiencing the power of the transformation of the Holy Spirit? Don't blame the Spirit. Look at yourself. Are you still walking in obedience? The power of the Holy Spirit in us is all dependent on our obedience to walk with him. And that's when he's going to start producing things like resilience in us because he's walking through the hardship with us. We have to, though, hold the line. We have to be the one who says no to the sin nature, to callous our mind in practice. We talked about that last week. Callousing our mind to practice before the battle takes place. 